It all started because I was so tired of hearing people complain about the weather. (laughs) This whole thing that we're getting into this morning started because uh, in Chicago, where I am from, uh, land of the free and home of the brave, uh, there is a new thing that's developed, and I don't know if you have it around here. This is a little more of God's country, not like the complaining big city that I'm from. But uh, I don't know if you have it around here, but there's a thing that's developed over the last couple of years in Chicago, slowly but surely, where we've ceased to be people um, who discuss the world and ideas and sort of slowly move to people who only ever talk about the weather. And in wintertime, this gets particularly dramatic because it seems every week there's a new story that the news, like the first 20 minutes of the news every night is telling you about the next three inches of snow that are going to mean that if you leave your house, you will certainly and your children die. (laughs) And this hype machine around the weather uh, and the way that it plays on social media and in conversations, it just started to drive me, if I can just be honest here, it started to drive me a little crazy uh, because there's more to life than weather. And I've been to Florida enough times to know that all the people there are just complaining about the rain and whatever other thing is happening too. Uh, But this thing about the weather, I was kind of, do you ever get something and then it starts to burrow into your head and you start thinking about it over and over and over and over. And I was thinking about the weather. This is all through December and, and into January. And I was thinking about why is it that so many people, their entire outlook on the day, their entire outlook on the week, their entire outlook on the month and the year, their entire outlook on their lives is determined by whether or not it's sunny in the sky that day. Why is it that so many people building on that? Why is it that so many people that their whole day or week is determined by whether or not their favorite team wins or whether or not the thing that they wanted to have happen, happened? Why is it that these little things so often determine the entire outlook on our lives? Why is it that we let these little minor things like the weather or sports or any other trivial thing, why is it that that overwhelms all the other good things in our lives so often and becomes the defining thing in our mentality and the way that we think? And what I realized is that a lot of times uh, people in the world, especially us Christians, are a lot like this balloon. Um, see, because this balloon is really happening right now, you've got to admit it's filled with uh, air, and it's really looking pretty good, I think. If I was to walk over towards the children's ministry, I could probably cause a riot right now just with this one single balloon, couldn't I? But if I left this balloon right here on this stage and came back on Thursday afternoon, how would it be looking? It'd be looking kind of, I think, wouldn't it? It'd be looking kind of deflated and depressed, and just being honest, it would start to look pretty lame. And the sad truth is that a lot of Christians are just like that balloon. I mean, right now, Sunday morning, I tell you, I'm looking, I was standing behind, right up here in the front row, listening to the singing, and you all were singing loud. And the fact that half of you weren't getting anywhere near the melody didn't stop you. You were singing loud, and all God's people said, amen. The voices all sound amazing to him, yeah. But I tell you, I got to be honest, looking around, I mean, you made it to the early service this morning. There's a filled up sense of, hmm, things are happening in this place this morning. But oftentimes it wouldn't be the same if I got all of you in this back in this room on Thursday afternoon or Tuesday morning, that we get filled up so often full when we come to church and the week has a way of taking it away. And all of that brings us to Philippians chapter one. Will you open there if you haven't already? 
that I have become convinced that the missing piece in many Christians' day-to-day lives is this idea of everyday joy. That God did not create you and me to be excited on Easter and miserable a lot of the other time. God did not create you and me. He certainly didn't go to the cross and rise up out of the tomb. He did not do that so that we would be in a great mood when we were with all the other Christians and kind of a little bit miserable all the rest of the time. No, God created us for joy. And joy is this. This is a great definition that my dad has been using for a long time, and I use it as well. This is a great definition. that This is what joy is. Joy is a supernatural delight, a supernatural delight in the person, the purposes, and the people of God. That that is what joy is. Joy is, of course, not a temporary happiness. The joy is a supernatural delight, not something that you can get on this earth, a supernatural delight in the person... It's a delight in who God is, the purposes, it's a delight in what God does, and the people who God loves. That joy is a supernatural delight in the person, the purposes, and the people of God. And God made you, he made you to have this delight every single day of your life, whether it's raining or shining, no matter what the doctor or the bank account says, God made us to have supernatural delight. And we're going to look this morning in the book of Philippians, the last part of the first chapter, at four keys to everyday joy. Four keys to everyday joy. This is a bit like an infomercial in this sense that I can make you a money back guarantee, full 30-day money back guarantee, that if you follow these four keys, you will have a supernatural delight. That's not because there's anything special about anything other than this, that God's word is true. Every word of it from Genesis to Revelation, and when we do the things that it says, we get the things that it promises. Without further ado, would you look with me at Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to read the last four verses, 27 to 30. It says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. That you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I have, and now hear that I still have. This is God's word for us today. Four keys to everyday joy. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a church at Philippi. And Philippians is Paul's most upbeat letter. He is fired up and excited. He has a lot of things that he doesn't like about a lot of the other churches that he writes to. But for the people in Philippi, this must have been like a happening church. Because everything he says to them, really, he's fired up about the things that are happening. And the theme of this letter is joy. In our church, we went through this, and the way that we worked on this joy was we, uh, as a church, read through the book of Philippians together every single day, the whole thing, for 30 days. And let me tell you, you do that, you get a new outlook on the way that things are. And here's the four keys to everyday joy. The first one is this in verse 27. Mature behavior demonstrates everyday joy. Mature behavior demonstrates everyday joy. See, what does Paul say here in verse 27? He says, now only... Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
your manner of life, your behavior. He says, let the way that you live, let the choices that you make, let the things that you do, what? It says, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So worthy, whenever you see that in the New Testament, it's the idea of a scale, you know, those kind of old scales where you put something on one side and then it either kind of goes up or down depending on if it's even or not. This is every time you see the word worthy, that's what it means. So Paul is saying, when we put, if we put all the choices that you make, the way that you live, the life that you lead, if we put that on one side of the scale and we put what Jesus Christ has done for you on the other side, it should match up. It should be seen as weighing the same. That because of what Jesus has done, your life sure better match up to that. That because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross and the empty tomb and the Holy Spirit and because of all the things that Jesus has done, the choices that you make need to match up. He says, let your manner of life, let the way that you live be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the first uh, key to everyday joy is mature behavior. That's a way of demonstrating everyday joy. Now, I need to be clear with you that mature behavior means godly behavior. It doesn't mean necessarily serious behavior. If there are, I mean, Christians, are they notorious for turning everything into something serious? I had dinner with your pastor and his wife last night, and one of the reasons why he's one of my favorite pastors in our Harvest Fellowship is he just loves to laugh. I mean, am I, am I telling God's truth? I mean, he just loves to laugh. And so many Christians are out there thinking that the way I demonstrate that I'm serious about God is by always being angry. I got a frown on my face. And I have bumper stickers on my car. I mean, you'd think, right? Jesus is alive, my friend. Put a smile on the old face every once in a while. But am I telling the truth? That so many believers in Jesus, and God bless them, they're trying to do the right things. But so many believers in Jesus think that the way to show that I'm serious about God is by having a frown on my face. And so when he says, let your manner of life be worthy of of the gospel of Christ, let your behavior be mature, He's saying, let the things that you do be the right things. He's not saying be angry all the time or overly intense or serious. See, mature behavior is the mark of a growth in godliness. It is the process of sanctification by which after we come to know Jesus, we become more like him. It's one of the things that we, what do we do? We do three things here at Harvest. We worship Christ. And then at the end is work for Christ. And do you know what the one is in the middle? We'll go with walk on that. Yeah, thank you. It's good. Uh, That walking with Christ is the process by which we grow from where we are into being more like him. And the way that he frames it, and this is the way that it's written in the original language is important, that it's always defined as a process or something that is on its way to happening. There is no point at which you make it to living a fully mature or a fully godly life worthy of the gospel of Christ. The truth is, Paul is giving us something to aspire to, not something to attain. When you think about it, the way that it's laid out with the scale idea, that it would be impossible, wouldn't it? It would be impossible for us to ever live in a way that would match up on a scale to the worth of what God has done for us. Impossible. But it's something that we look towards and aspire to. And mature behavior, living in the way that God has asked us to live and shown us to live in the scriptures, 
is one of the keys to everyday joy. That one of the reasons why so often the balloon of joy in our lives is sagging down lame to the floor, kind of lacking any pep or substance to it, is because the choices that we are making are poking a little small hole in the side. And turning the joy down, 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 down turning the joy down, 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 that the choices that I make have an effect on my outlook on the world. I always uh, laugh. I have the opportunity to work with a lot of college and high school and students, and uh, it's it's always a funny kind of thing, because you can have a meeting with one of them, you know, at noon, and they can show up, like, just having rolled out of bed, you know, and uh, sometimes a high school student will say to me, you know, I'm just not, I'm not feeling great. Uh, I'm just kind of feeling a little out of it today. Oh, well, let me tell, tell me about what you did yesterday. Well, uh, I woke up at noon and uh, laid around watching Netflix till four. And then about 10 at night, I went out and I ate Taco Bell at four in the morning. And I woke up this morning not really feeling super excited about the world. Oh, now did you now? Is that right? Is that right? But as Christians, you and me, oftentimes we refuse to acknowledge the effect that our choices, our daily choices, have on our outlook. And mature behavior demonstrates everyday joy. Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Next. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, so no matter what, that I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Second thing is this unified relationships multiply everyday joy. The unified relationships are the second key to this supernatural delight that I am talking about. Paul says, he says this. He says, whether I'm with you or whether I'm not with you, that when I hear about you, no matter what, that what I want to hear is that you are standing firm in your faith that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He lays out kind of three things here about these relationships. First, one spirit, which means one set of values, one set of things that I care about, that you care about, with one mind, the same beliefs and the same passions, striving side by side. Maybe you could say that you're worshiping, walking, and working if you stretch it out just a little bit. Unified relationships multiply everyday joy that if you read through the New Testament and take into account all the things that Paul and the others write about, you come over and over and over to this reality that one of the keys to living as a Christian, one of the keys to following Jesus is the relationships that you have with other followers of Jesus around you. And we live in a world where that just seems so unusual or, or so countercultural because we live in a world that's all about me. What helps me? What is good for me? What helps me through the day? What are my food needs? What are my needs about this? How do I want things to happen? What time do I want to watch my TV shows? You know, and on and on and on and on and on it goes. But that's not the way that the New Testament was written and that's not the way that the Christian is called to live. That one of the keys to the supernatural delight in the person, purposes, and people of God. One of the keys to that is having unified relationships and unified relationships around Jesus Christ and who he is. That the people around me make a huge impact on my supernatural delight. And so what Paul says here, he says this, that you should be thinking about the same things, caring about the same things, and working 
side by side for the faith of the gospel. That is a unified relationships and they multiply everyday joy. A couple of observations that are important. Uh, one of them is this, that uh, the word fellowship is a word that gets thrown around a lot. It's a kind of very Christian-y sounding word. And one of the things that gets lost over time is that anytime the Bible talks about the relationships that we should have with other Christians, it never sort of has this like sitting around laughing, playing a game, drinking coffee idea that so often modern Christians use it. It's always used in the context of working together. That it doesn't say sitting side by side laughing. No, what does it say? It says, right, Paul says, he says that the way that I build this unity, the way that I build these relationships, the way that my joy is brought forward more is when we are striving, working side by side. And I can tell you, I don't know if you have, but I have found this to be true in my life that the people that I have the most supernatural delight in are the ones that I have worked hard for the sake of Jesus Christ with. It just builds something different than people that I like watching football with, doesn't it? It's a different kind of thing. And unified relationships multiply everyday joy. Uh, I like to think about it like this. Um, it reminds me of this. Have you ever used uh, one of the big things going right now? I've used this, this app, Yelp. Anybody? So Yelp is like a thing right now, and it really helps because it used to be that, you know, when you went, I, I travel a little bit for work, and it used to be that you had to like kind of go to the hotel and find that kind of weird concierge person and ask them where I should go to eat or ask them where I should get coffee, and they would usually give you bad advice, and you just kind of had no way of knowing when you went to another city or another place, how can I get a good meal, get a good cup of coffee, whatever. But Yelp is genius because you can go on and uh, log on and see what all kinds of other people have said about the different places on a map all around you. And it kind of gives you a sense of stay away from this coffee shop, stay away from this restaurant, go to this one. And, and it's sometimes if you're getting bad service in a restaurant, you, know, you can kind of whip out the app and say, listen, you better get it together here. I'm going to write something real bad about you right now on the thing for all of time. Not, not, of course, that I would ever do that. But Yelp is a powerful tool because it's not controlled by anything other than the people who are part of it, and it gives you a real impression of what things are like. And I would venture to say to you that the relationships that the people in church have with each other are the Yelp review to the world of whether this Jesus thing is really real or not. You see, it's easy for me, it's easy for, for Pastor Doug and Nick, who was up here earlier, it's easy for us to say, oh, best church ever, best, best services, best Christians, best thing. This, I mean, you've got to get over here, this church over here, behind that, kind of over behind that Walmart over there. It's, it's an unbelievable place, and you've got to get there, and things are happening. It's easy for the, for the salesman, the pastor who's in charge of the whole thing, it's easy for him to say that everything is fantastic. But when people in your community see the way that you treat each other, the way that you talk about each other, the way that you help each other through hard times, the way that difficult things are dealt with, that sh uh, shouts much louder than anyone else ever could about what you actually think, what you actually believe. That unified relationships multiply everyday joy. You see, that when there is... Uh, relationships founded on Jesus Christ, significant things always happen. It was a real blessing because as I was preparing to come here, uh, Pastor Doug and I were emailing and uh, kind of, he asked me what I wanted to speak about and then I trying to be, you know, the good young man asked him, well, I don't know, what would you like me to speak about? And he wrote me back like the most wonderful email. He said, to be honest, anything that you want to talk about will be a, a blessing. Our church is doing great right now. It is filled with unity, was the exact word, and God is doing a lot of amazing things. 
And it's just interesting because that, as pastors, we know that that's code speak for nobody is trying to destroy anything right now and everything is going really well. That's like... (laughs) Amen? We're together on this. I understand. We've been there. Because if you've been around church for very long in your life, and if you're just coming to faith in Jesus Christ, I'm so glad that you haven't become cynical yet. But if you've been around church very much in your life, you know that nothing does more damage to the cause of Jesus Christ than Christians who start to destroy each other. Well, how does uh, Paul say it in a different place in the New Testament? That they devour one another. That Christians are notorious, not for the way even that they treat people in the world, but for the way that when things get a little off, they treat each other. And Paul is saying, no, we're not going to be like that. What I want to hear about you, what I want to know about you, is that you have one spirit, one mind, and that you are striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Not striving side by side for something that you're hoping you can get out of it. No, you're striving side by side for what Jesus has done for you. And when you have relationships like that, that they are unified around who Jesus is and what he's done, all of a sudden joy starts to multiply. That the epidemic of loneliness in our society starts to go away. That the the sense of what am I doing here and what is all of this for, all of that is around having unified relationships. And those relationships multiply everyday joy. And this might be the thing for some of you who are here today, the application, the important thing for some of you who are here today might be this. Maybe you are coming to this church and you're not really part of it exactly. You, you, maybe your feet and your body make its way into the door, but you haven't actually opened yourself up and got into significant relationship here. And let me tell you, that you are not getting everything that God wants you to have unless you have real relationships with people in this church. Maybe that's something you could work on or get solved even today. I'm sure they would love to help you. Back to the text. That I may hear of you that you're stranding firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents... This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. Third thing is this, eternal perspective protects everyday joy. So, Paul says, now listen, people are going to see you striving side by side. They're going to see these relationships. So don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. Why? Because your unity, the way that you are towards each other, and the faith that you have in the gospel, that it's a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that is from God. This verse, more clearly than maybe any other that I've found, explains this. Have you ever wondered why there is such an irrational, extreme hatred for Christians in the world? Have you ever wondered that before? Have you ever wondered why it is that for like thousands of years people are trying to destroy the Jewish people and it never really makes sense and no one really understands why and what is it that you're mad at them about exactly? Have you ever wondered why it is that that the Muslim faith and the Hindu faith and the Buddhist faith and every other faith that is filled with lots of devout people who sadly, if they don't find Jesus Christ, are not going to heaven. Have you ever wondered why all those faiths are given incredible amounts of tolerance and astonishing amounts of leeway? while the people who believe in Jesus Christ are met over and over and over with push against? Have you ever wondered why it is that the most popular, the most unpopular person in almost every big business workplace is the devout Christian? 
Just, I don't know, have you ever wondered about any of those things? This is why. This is the answer. This, this verse is the answer to why. Because when people see the joy that comes through mature behavior, through multiple, to unified relationships, it is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Wow. It is a clear sign to them of their destruction. That when a person who is miserable and without God sees someone who isn't miserable and has God, it shines the brightest light possible on the emptiness and misery and loneliness of their soul. But only because of their pride does it not oftentimes turn them towards repentance. You'd think, okay, I see that person. Their life seems great. My life is awful. Maybe I should do the things that they do, right? It's pretty obvious. But sadly, because of sin, that is oftentimes not the way that people operate. And so what Paul says is this, that because because of what you have in Jesus, you are a clear sign to everybody around you of of their destruction, but of your salvation, that you are on a one-way ticket to heaven, and that is from God. So don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. That an eternal perspective, I'll unpack this for just a minute, protects everyday joy. See, it's this. It is this. And this is amazing news. That this world is not the end. That was worth getting out of bed for this morning, just right there. That this world is not the end. And man, I mean, there are some good days here on this earth. I had a great day hanging out with my son yesterday. Today's Selection Sunday, if you're into that. Big day for me, very excited about that. It's spring. I mean, there's a lot of great things happening. There's a lot of great days. I had a great burger last night. I mean, there's a lot of great little moments in life here. But overall, life is pretty hard. There's a lot of things. And if this world was all there was, there would be no reason to have joy. Because the truth about life is it kind of has a way of getting just a little worse and just a little worse. I mean, you're super healthy and like excited and energetic when you're young and you waste it. And then you get older and older and you get less healthy and less energetic. And then eventually somewhere over at the end, nobody wants to talk to you anymore usually and you die. That's kind of the way that it goes. (laughs) Sorry if that's bursting the bubble for you, but that's just the way that it goes. And there would be no reason to have delight except for this. This world is not the end. Whoo! That when you see that when, when these people, they see their destruction, it is a reminder to you of your salvation and that your salvation comes from God. That he gives you and me grace. And if I'm looking all the time at what is right in front of me, if I'm focusing every day on what is today, what is tomorrow, that I will not have supernatural delight. That a huge part of having supernatural delight is i got to put up with this the best I can and make an impact for Jesus and do whatever I can while I'm here, but I'm just basically kind of in this holding zone and this waiting zone until I get to what God has prepared for me out ahead. And that is what my focus on. My focus is not what's right in front of me. My focus is what is out there. And when my focus is out there, on what God has ahead for me when this world is over, then I can have supernatural delight 
and the person, purposes, and people of God. The delight comes when I anticipate what is ahead, not stress out or be frustrated about what is in the moment. This is a small way of helping to understand that. I drove down from Chicago yesterday, and I'm, I'll be driving back today. And uh, If you've ever done a long car ride, you know that the absolute worst thing that you can do on a long car ride is pay super close attention to the time. Okay, uh, 131 more miles. Okay, 129 more miles. Does that make the time pass slower or does it make the time pass faster? It makes the time pass incredibly slower. Uh, uh, Children are notorious on a road trip for asking one single question and asking it repeatedly. Does anyone know what the question is? Are we there yet? (laughs) The brilliance of this, of course, is that the answer is never, ever, 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 ever yes because when you're there they can just like see it and they're not even asking anymore so it's like that question has a zero percent success rate in history zero percent are we there no we're not there yet but as they're asking it it just starts to feel longer and man like i mean look at all oh gosh look at all these windmills i'm not even close to there yet i mean even worse because I'm this is like when you start kind of smelling Gary Indiana we're like three quarters of the way home that's today so it's even (laughs) paying close attention to how long we are from the finish line is an enemy of delight all there is for us today my friends is to say this I know that Jesus is coming back and I know it's going to happen and I'm fired up about it But I can't spend too much time thinking about it, or I'm just going to be miserable here today. I just need to have this perspective. Jesus is coming for me when the time is right, and because of that, there is nothing to be worried about. There is nothing to be afraid about. But there are people out there who, because I show them their destruction, they aren't too happy with me. But my perspective is that I have salvation, that salvation is from God, and he is coming back for me, and so I will have joy, supernatural delight. That is the eternal perspective. It protects everyday joy. And now to the last one. Verse 29, would you look with me? For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. For clear expectations ensure everyday joy this i'm just telling you this this is crazy this is what paul says he says it has been granted to you it has been given to you it's the same word as gift it has been gifted to you this is the gift that you've been given the gift that you have been given is that not only are you going to get believing in jesus not only are you going to get this but the gift is the gift is you can suffer for his sake I can't think of anything that sounds more wrong in the minds of a Christian in the United States of America in 2015 than that idea. That suffering is not something just to get through. That suffering is a gift that God has granted to you. He says, it's been gifted to you. It's been granted. It's a gift. And here's the gift. The gift is... You get to suffer for his sake. What does he mean? The gift is that you get to suffer for his sake. 
And just so we're clear, it means that you can engage in the same conflict that you watched me have and that you keep hearing that I'm still having. Clear expectations ensure everyday joy. My expectations, so often in life, my expectations determine my experience, I've found. That when you go into something expecting it to be great, it oftentimes is. When you go into something expecting it to be terrible, it usually is. is Life has a way of being a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way. And then if my expectations are going to be, and man, I hope that you never got this from somebody somewhere, but if my expectations are going to be that the more of Jesus I have, the more health and the more money and the more smiling and the more everything is going to be perfect I'm going to have, if those are my expectations, I am destined for an impossible disappointment. Jesus did not say, John chapter 15, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overtaken the world. Jesus said, it is going to be hard. It is going to be hard. But don't worry about it, because I got this under control. And if my expectations are that the more I love Jesus, the easier things are going to get, It's going to be a disaster, but if my expectations are going to be that God is going to give me the gift of suffering, then my joy can start to multiply. And a couple of important questions arise. Why is it that suffering is a gift? It's for this reason, that Christians are never more listened to by the people around them than when they keep saying the same thing when it's hard. That the people in your workplace, the people in your, in your school, the people in your family, the people around you who don't know Jesus, they're like, well, I'm just, this is, I've seen it a hundred times. I bet you have too. I've seen it a thousand times. This is the way that their mind works. Well, sure, they believe it while things are going great. But I wonder what it'll be like when cancer shows up. I wonder what it'll be like when bankruptcy shows up. I wonder what it'll be like when a long season of hurt shows up. I wonder what it'll be like then. And when we still believe the same God, when we still sing the same songs, when we still say the same things when things are hard, then all of a sudden people start to listen. And that is the reason why suffering is a gift. And suffering is coming your way. If today is a great day for you and you can't think of one thing that's hard in your life, take a deep breath, say a prayer of thanks, and prepare because something is undoubtedly on its way around the corner. If you've been doing this for a while... Anybody in the house right now? Can you get anybody? Amen to that. Is that not the truth? The things are hard and they're coming. And if my expectations are that things are going to be easy, I will always be disappointed. But if my expectations are that when suffering shows up in front of me because of God, I'm going to shout even louder about who he is and what he's done for me. If those are my expectations, then my supernatural delight will continue to grow. Just imagine how countercultural it is for the Christian that when hard things show up, The smile on my face gets bigger because the moment of opportunity has arrived. Hardships often prepare ordinary people for extraordinary destiny. But most people like you and me, we're just average people. We're not that impressive. Nobody's ever going to be trying to keep up with us on any TV show of any kind. Nobody's really paying attention to what we do in our everyday lives. We're just normal people. And the hardships of life often prepare ordinary people for extraordinary destiny. Paul says just a little earlier in Philippians chapter 1 that to live is Christ and to die is gain. The only way he can say that is if his expectations are clear that there is hard things coming. 
I think this is it. See? Because he's saying it's going to keep getting hard. It's going to keep being hard. It's going to be hard. There's going to be this conflict, and I had it, and you're going to have it, and you're going to hear that I still have it. And that's just the way that it is, all the way until, until death. And in death, a person is taken, try this, in death, a person is taken from their treasure or to their treasure. That in death, a person is taken from the things that they've been working to hold on to, the things that they've been working to build, the things that they've been trying to make happen, the little kingdom or empire they've been trying to build. Death is either taking them away from that or towards that. And that that's when you see what a person's expectations and what their perspective is really like. These four keys to everyday joy can change your life if you choose to believe in them and choose to make them your own. I got this story and then we'll kind of bring it for the, for the close. I, uh, is CrossFit a thing down here? Is that like a thing? Yeah, well, here's how, you, you don't have to wonder because if you know anybody who does it, they can't stop talking about it. That's part of the, the thing about CrossFit is CrossFit and gluten are sort of in a contest that way to see, <laughs> see who, can, who, who can spend more time talking about them. But uh, the people who run CrossFit did something brilliant and they're making a lot of money off of it. You see, for most of my life, uh, the way that physical fitness was pitched was, look how easy this is. Two and a half minutes a day, and you can look like me, this person with all of these muscles I didn't even know existed, right? Always the pitch is for just a couple bucks, for just a couple minutes, man, you can look amazing, right? That's always the pitch. But the CrossFit guys did something the complete opposite. It was like this. It's going to be more expensive than anything out there. It's going to take more of your time than anything out there. You're going to puke, and it's going to be miserable, but guess what? You'll actually look the way all these other people look. And I'm going to tell you, if I was in the marketing meeting, I would have said, guys, uh, we maybe need to pitch this a different way. But people are flocking to it in droves. Flock, I mean, and they are just printing money, and it's on TV, and it's just this huge thing. Because this, they stopped lying to everyone about what it takes to be physically fit. And people go into it with a clear expectation and a clear sense of what it's going to actually take, and they really, really like it whoever those weird people are. <laughs> and so, friends, I, you've laughed a few times, and the music was great this morning, but if you don't get it right now in this moment, there was no point in coming to church today, so please stay with me right here. We're at the end. This. Joy is a supernatural delight in the person and the purposes and the people of God. And so many Christians go through so many days of their life without it. They go around with a frown of misery on their face. And oftentimes it's because they're missing one of these four key ingredients. One, mature behavior. Maybe for you there are some things in your life, choices that you are making, things that you are doing or not doing, that you need to cut them out of your life. And you need to do it today, something radically, because they are choking off your capacity for joy. Because mature behavior is the demonstration of everyday joy. Maybe for you... You have some broken relationships, especially broken relationships with other Christians, especially, especially if they're part of the same household of faith as you are. And maybe you need to go to someone like by 1034 today 
and say, we need to talk. We need to work this out. You need to go 95% of the way, and maybe if they can't get there, go 99% of the way. The people who love Jesus don't have broken relationships with other people who love Jesus if they can absolutely help it. And if you have broken relationships, it is pummeling your ability to have supernatural delight. Maybe the thing for you is this idea of eternal perspective, that maybe you're striving for the things of this world every day, is leaving you stuck with an attitude only as good as how your stock portfolio did. And it's, it's just, it's taking out your ability to have joy. And maybe um, for you, well, maybe it's this last thing that you're suffering right now. Maybe things are hard and you didn't realize they were going to be. And rather than hope the suffering goes away, you need to change your expectations so that you can see it for what God actually wants it to be is a gift to you, an opportunity to turn your faith into a megaphone shouting to everybody around you. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm just tired of going through life letting these small temporary things dictate how I feel and dictate how I live and dictate my outlook. It's so much more than a smile, of course. But everyday joy is available to every person who calls Jesus Christ. It's available to every person who calls Jesus Christ. So why would you go along anymore without it? And so today, if you hear his voice, the band's going to come and we're going to sing. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Things aren't going to be different two weeks from now without a change. And so maybe even now you could bow your head and, and close your eyes. Maybe you could start now just to be able to be honest with yourself. Where is it? Is it, is it a behavior thing? Is it relationships? Is it perspective or expectations? Is it something else? Because there's this opportunity for joy. Only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now that I still have. Jesus, would you meet with us now in a way that would allow us to stop pretending, but just to be honest with ourselves? And Lord, would you help us to see the hindrances to supernatural delight and to do something about them in the power of your spirit, God? Thank you for the gifts that you give. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.